0: You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Philippians. It's the book of the New Testament. We've uh, just our second week in on a series called Healthy Church. We're looking at this healthy church. I thought before we looked at the Bible, I'd just tell a quick story. Uh, this is a story of a hard-working, coffee-loving young man, which uh, hopefully I have a, a picture that's coming up here. He actually met a beautiful, fun, young woman. They fall in love and decide to get married. (laughs) A monster appears. (laughs) A family is formed. Now I know that we're all here celebrating what's been happening in this family today and we want to come and celebrate families. I would say that this is a community that has been established. And so I want to speak this morning on a healthy church is a community. We're going to read a few verses from the Bible just to give you a background in case you're not familiar. This is a letter. Before people had uh, email and uh, I guess Skype, they wrote letters to one another, Paul who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, had written this one to a church that he'd been involved in starting. So he knew it really well. In fact, it was the first church in Europe. And I'm going to read Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves each of you should look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man The Father, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through these verses this morning. Yeah. Lord, I felt so powerfully touched by you already in the time of worship, just hearing how you interact in people's lives. I thank you that you're interested in the, in the massive migraine that infects us, or you're interested in something we've lost. I pray that you would speak to each one of us as we come and listen to your word now. your glory. Amen. So I'm doing this Healthy Church series, and the first thing we're going to look at today is community. We looked at commitment two weeks ago. That was the first one. This is the second, sorry. First word, if. 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 In fact, we see it four times in that first sentence. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness... Now, now Paul, this is a rhetorical question. He knew that they were full of joy. In fact, if you read the whole letter, you would know that he's full of joy. Despite the fact he's writing this from being in prison, he's writing full of joy. You see, he says this, if you're encouraged from being united with Christ. Well, the Bible, here, Paul, he actually wrote 13 books out of the New Testament. There's 27 in the New Testament. Actually, one theme in many of those books was this, we are united with Christ. What does that mean? Basically, it would mean, because we're in him, we died when he died, we rose when he risen, one day we'll inherit heaven, not because of us, but because we're in him. I was chatting to somebody just this week, they'd had a bad day, and you, know, you could think, oh, God must look at me and be really disappointed. But actually, we know from the Bible that we are literally hidden inside of Christ. That when he looks at us, he sees Christ. Yeah. Well, how does, how, does, how does a father feel about Christ? Well, we know, don't we, from, from the baptism, that when Jesus was baptised and he came back up, it's almost like God couldn't contain himself and shouts out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So Paul would know that they were encouraged because they're in Christ. It says in Romans 6, this was a a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. If we have been united with him in his death like this, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Paul knew eternal hope. Wow. We don't know what this week's going to hold. We don't know how events will unfold. But Paul could say, hey, but if you're in Christ, you've got this eternal hope. If. You know his comfort and his love. Paul would say that, that God gives us unconditional love. It's funny, the closest I could probably think is Shelley. You know what I'm saying? I sometimes hear that she doesn't have time to cook her own tea, but she'd always cook Catherine's. There's something like that as a parent, isn't there? You know what I'm saying? You think, oh, well, I could go with it. I think, wow, I, I, you know, I think I must be a poor parent. I've never missed a meal myself. But there's almost this unconditional love. We've been singing about it, and those songs were based on on a Bible passage. Again, Paul wrote to the church in Romans, Romans chapter 8. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whoa. If any comfort? He said, of course you'd be comforted because you know the love of Christ. If any fellowship with the Spirit? You see, Christianity is not a religion. Catherine's not become a Christian today. We can't just suddenly say, oh, this is what our parents have determined. It's a relationship. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You've got to have a personal relationship with him. You know what I'm saying? And so Adam and Shelley say, oh, we love God. We've chosen to live for him. We've chosen to say no, to live in our own way and live for him. They've chosen to live in healing, following God. So actually, that's what the relationship is. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes elsewhere that it's by the Holy Spirit we can cry, Abba, Father. It's almost like this, this understanding, this relationship. That's in Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. We cry, Abba, Father. So Paul is saying, if? Oh, they would have said, if, yeah. Paul, we know. If any tenderness and compassion, he says. You see, Paul was the one who hated Christians. You can read about this in the book of Acts. Acts tells the story of the early church after Jesus had died and risen and gone to heaven. We then read about it. He was actually so hating Christians that he'd got this permission slip to find them wherever they were, to pull them out their homes and to throw them into prison. And some of you might have heard the term Damascus Road experience. Paul was on the Damascus Road And there was this blinding light. And literally, you know, God said, I've had enough. Kicked him off his horse. That's my interpretation. The Bible doesn't tell us that. He falls on the floor. And he said, who are you? He says, why are you fighting me? Paul understood that harshness was met with compassion. He understood that anger was met with tenderness. So when he writes to these Christians and he says, if any tenderness, they would have thought, Paul... You know what tenderness and compassion is like. In 2 Corinthians, this was another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power. Paul understood, hey, if... Oh, there's so much tenderness and compassion. So the question is, if... If, have we understood, because if that is true, then something else has got to be true. If what I've just described is true, then there's got to be an action. That's what if means, isn't it? I'm literally, I'm just doing four words this morning, one out of each verse. Verse one, if. Verse two, what does it start? Then. Then. If all this is true, Then then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. We know that Paul was writing this letter, if you read the whole letter, for several reasons. One is he wants to thank them for the gift that they've given him. One, he wants to tell them about life in prison. Actually, he says, don't worry too much about it, really. One is he says, I want to see you soon. And one is he says, look, come on, don't argue. I want you to be united and together. It's a huge challenge, isn't there? You know what I'm saying? Uh, We hope and pray, and I'm not speaking this over you, but that CJ has a brother or sister soon. I mean, that's always the case, isn't it? You know, when when they're single, you say, when you're going to get married? When they get married, you say, when you're going to have your first kid? Once they've had the first one, you say, where's number two? I mean, that's the sort of pressure that there is, isn't there? And we hope that they get on. The reality is, you know, some of the times they do, some of the times they don't. Paul is writing and saying, "Acts as a church, I want you to get on. I want you to be united. I want you to be like-minded. I want you to love. I was going to say this morning, there is no uniform to be in the church of God. Until I recognized that Mark and I were wearing very similar shirts. And so if you come to us, small checks are in. But in all seriousness, it's not saying here actually this is what you must how you must behave. He doesn't write to the church and say, This is how many children you must have, this is how many hobbies you must pursue. Paul is not addressing the external. We tend to form communities on the external. What do I mean? Well, if you're single, we could have a singles group here. If you're a runner, let's all have a running group over here. If you're married, well, we'd understand you being connected here. If you've got kids. And so often we can be looking at the externals, life circumstances. Paul is not looking for that kind of community. He challenges them inside. How do they think? How do they love? How do they plan and dream? Community is built through commitment not circumstances. That's what Paul is writing to the church. Rick Warren, he's an American pastor and author of a very successful book, says this, The Bible says we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, and held together, and will one day be caught up together. You're not on your own anymore. My generation, we grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock, I am an island, you know what I'm saying? Some of you think, who on earth are they? Just lose that one for a moment. Maybe you've seen the film about a boy. Oh, well, actually, I've been so hurt, I just don't want to be connected to anyone else. We can think about these circumstances. But Paul is saying, look, if you've experienced something of God, then I want you to think and be community. Verse 3 then says what? Do Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So Paul is now challenging them, look, actually, this is what's happened to you, this is how you're to think, this is how it's to outwork. What's the motive? Selfish ambition, vain conceit. The danger is we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't think so much of other people. I I read this um, research recently about social media. 80% of what we do on social media is about ourselves. I put a picture out about what I've done so that you can like me doing what I'm doing. 80%. They did a study and they reckon in 30 years, our empathy for other people has dropped by 40% just because of social media. So no longer do we really care and feel so much about other people because it's social media. You know, somebody could lose their job, well, that gets as much space as on our Facebook page as this funny, you know, dog wearing a nappy or whatever it is. You know, and then it's just, suddenly it just keeps on going and going and going. The challenge often is, and I feel... For my kids, my kids are teenagers, they say their generation is just raising up in this sort of season of entitlement. You owe me, I deserve. Let's, let's be frank, I would like a fit body, but I don't want to do the work. I deserve one. You owe me, I deserve We live in some would call a dog-eat-dog world. I want to outperform you at work. I want to go faster than you in sport. In humour, I put you down to lift myself up. We have league tables all the time. If we're really honest, what job do you do? Am I really interested in your job? I'm probably thinking, how does it compare to mine? What postcode do you live in? Uh, Yes, I I admit, I'm W7, you know, if I could afford W5, maybe one day when the church is really, no, no, I'm not going down there. (laughs) What car do you drive? We have league tables. What shops do you visit? We so often compare ourselves. Paul is describing harmony built upon humility, and he's trying to say, don't try and Compete. He's saying diffuse competition, eliminate pride, increase consideration. In community, you die to yourself. The point is not what others are, the point is what you can count or consider others to be. Will you count them as worthy of your help? Think about that. In community, it's not are they worthy, it's will you count them worthy. We don't have to judge them and think, oh, they're worthy of my help. If I'm going to build community, I've got to count them as worthy, whether they're worthy or not. Jesus says in Matthew 22, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And it's almost like Paul is picking this up. When he says do, he's actually thinking, look, You've got to be one that loves other people. Martin Luther King, the preacher and civil rights leader in the US, says this, We are challenged to rise above the narrow confines of our individualistic concerns to the broader concerns for all humanity. I think, oh, how could we be like that? How could we develop this sense of care and concern for others? Let's be honest, sometimes I just think, man, if I've just made it to the end of the week, I've done well. How do I stop and think about other people? Some of you know, we had a guy, Lex, come and preach last week. I just found his interest in other people incredible. So we're going up to the Tate Modern on the tube, and he, starts, he says to this guy next to us, we're stood because it's fairly full, oh, you've got a nice beard. I thought, man alive, I think you can tell you're South African, I wouldn't start with an opener like that. <laughs> And you know, I think, what do you want, a punch in the face? <laughs> and the guy just goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> so the Lex goes, oh, do you treat it? <laughs> I mean, they start talking, and, and then Lex goes, well, I've been growing mine for about six months. How long have you been growing yours? You know, and they just end up having this conversation. And then he goes to me, hey, Pete, why aren't you growing a beard? Now there's about ten people on the tube that are all talking beards. I said, well, it, my wife said if I grow a beard, she won't kiss me, so I'm never having a beard. <laughs> And suddenly you think, oh, just for one moment, we'd stop thinking about ourselves and thinking about other people. And it's amazing how you can connect in that way. John Piper, he's the founder and teacher of something called Desire and God Ministries. He says this, wisdom is not a solitary attainment. It is corporate and relational attainment. Loners are not wise. Wisdom is given and found and forged in the fires of committed relationship. Wow. Because so often I think, if I get to the quiz night, I'm wise because of what I know. And suddenly, if you look in the Bible, actually, wisdom is us together. I think this is a huge thing of the Bible. Even the Lord's Prayer, I was thinking about this. I don't know if you know it, but so often I think, oh, give me today my daily bread. Help me to forgive those I've got to forgive. But actually, when you read it in the Bible, it doesn't say me, it says us. It says, our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. I sometimes think we don't have enough because we're no longer in the community. He told them as a church to pray that. And even now, you might think, "Oh, I'm really struggling this week. And I think, well, if you're in the church, maybe you wouldn't be struggling. But actually, you're struggling because you've chosen to be on your own. This is the biblical way of community. I haven't got this slide up there. A guy called Richard Waitley, he was a theologian economist and the leader of the Church of Ireland in the 1800s, said this, a man is called selfish not for pursuing his own good, but for neglecting his neighbors. A man is called selfish not for pursuing his own good, but for neglecting his neighbor. And actually, the challenge is we, we neglect other people. That is selfish. And what the Bible says, come on, how do we have this community? And so then we get on to verse 4. So it's if in verse 1, then in verse 2, do in verse 3, and verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. I read a Chinese proverb this week that says, one generation plants the tree, another gets the shade. There's almost this thing, isn't there? It's not about what just suddenly happens for me. It's what I can do will impact and bless other people. I read this week that the team exists to accomplish a result. The community exists to support its members while they fulfill their purpose. That's an interesting one, isn't it? As a church, are we a team? because we want to accomplish the result? Or are we community, because we want to support one another in why you fulfill your purpose? I think Paul was writing to them and saying, no, I'm not asking you to be a team, I'm asking you to be a community. And then we get what some have considered to be a hymn that describes Jesus. And if you want a motivation for why we should be community, oh, you've just got to dwell on this, haven't you? Who being in very nature God, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. God, I'm himself that I want to grasp and I want to get better. But actually, Jesus says, I'm not considering that something to be grasped. I'm making myself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I don't mind people thinking I'm a servant. I just hate it when they treat me like a servant. But Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to death. Even death on a cross was considered one of the lowest and vilest forms of death. Therefore, God exalted him. And and Paul's almost saying, if we're going to have this community, look at the life of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm preparing this, I'm suddenly thinking, oh, none of us could compete with Jesus, could we? I mean, that is a motivation, but how does this really work? How does this really impact the church? Well, actually, if you flick down in in your Bible, if you've got it open, if not, I think we will get the slide coming up here. We read that this was true of Paul. So in Philippians 2 and verse 17, Paul says this, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So what Paul says is, look, this is the principle, Jesus is our great model, but the danger is we look at Jesus and think, I couldn't possibly do that. So in the same chapter, he even says about himself, I want you to realize that I am prepared to die to help to make you strong. Paul says, literally, I would pour out my life for you. Now, sometimes you might think, oh, yeah, but but Paul, he wrote loads of the Bible. And Pete, surely you can't expect me to be like Paul. Well, okay, let's flick on a few more verses because Timothy was sort of a sidekick of Paul, a sort of ant and deck, I guess, of the early Christian world. In Philippians 2, verse 19, it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And so what Paul says is, look, here's the big principle. Yeah, Jesus is the example. Wow, if we just dwell upon that, that would be... But actually, I, Paul, I do this. I'm committed to community. I'm not thinking about my. Hey, it's not just me. I want you to be aware of Timothy. Timothy is this younger man that he often sends on his behalf when he can't get. He says, Timothy himself longs to serve you. He is modeling community. Now, you might say, oh, but that's okay for Jesus. And that's okay for Paul. And, oh, Timothy, it's getting close. Okay, I've got one more example from the chapter. If you look at Philippians 2, verse 25, this is a longer bit, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is mentioned, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you will be glad, and I will have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus, ordinary bloke. He was not distressed that he was ill. He was not distressed that they had not heard that he was ill. Guys, you've got to stick with me on this one. You know what I'm saying? I don't mind being ill as long as you know that I'm ill. You know, sometimes I don't mind not telling me as long as you really appreciate how poor I am. But that's not true of Epaphroditus. He was not distressed that he was ill. He was not distressed they had not heard that he was ill. He was concerned that they had heard that he was ill and they might worry oh why is that because he risked his life for the community and so it wasn't just about himself it was suddenly about this community george bernard shaw he was a nobel prize british playwright says this i am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I think, wow, wouldn't that be a challenge for us as a church? If we're thinking healthy church, we've just done six weeks on the gospel. And we thought, wow, what Christ has done is amazing. We're now doing six weeks on what is healthy church. Could that be true of us? I don't want Redeemer to be thought of as a building. Great building like it is. But I don't want people to think, oh, Redeemer's just a building. I don't want Redeemer to be thought of as a meeting. Howard, it is a good meeting. I'm, these guys serve us so well. Yeah, the welcome, the tea, the I don't want it just to be thought like that. I would love that people to think, oh, Redeemer's life together. So even this morning, what have we done? We said to Adam and Shelley and Catherine, we want to do life together. You know what I'm saying? We want you to cook us nice food, and we will come and eat. No, we will all share food. Adam is a great cook, in case you don't know. Actually, genuinely, how do we do life together? Because that's the kind of community that's here. I love it when people do have a baby. This is not a good enough reason just to have a baby in the church. But often we would do a meal for the first two weeks, just drop it around every single night. Yeah, babies cost a lot more than meals for two weeks. Any single folk that's trying to work that one out. But what we're trying to say is we want to be community. We want to express our love. We want to come round and stand with you. Because surely this is the picture of community that we see here. So we have small groups that are going to be meeting this week. Is that just a tie-up a Wednesday night? No, of course not. It's how could we genuinely know one another? Why do we ask people to fill in a blue form? We will not spam you. I would just give you a call because what we'd love to say is we want this to be a community and we'd love you to connect. Why do we do a quiz night? I don't know about you. I always feel foolish at the end of a quiz night. There's something about not being allowed to use your phone and just suddenly down to who you really are that, that, that terrifies me. You know what I'm saying? They always spot if under the table you're just checking those questions. I think I know I'm going to come up like, but actually I'm, I'm there for the community I'm there so that whoever wins gets more prize money. No, it's not quite like that. I'm there because genuinely I'm just going to connect and have fun. You see, this is surely what we're about. If, then, do, each. I know it can sound a funny thing, but I guess I just love us to bring this thing. and, And I feel this is a huge challenge to us in London. I mean, I love London. But I still think it's a challenge on community. You see, what I realized about Lex, and I told you this example on the tube, is I'm sitting on the same tube as him, next to the same people as him. But I probably have in my heart hurry sickness. I'm always thinking I've got to get somewhere. You know, Lex lives in South Africa. I'm trying to explain the app that teaches you which door on which carriage makes it quicker to get to the next train, I'm trying to explain that we have an app so that actually I know how fast I can walk to the bus stop so that when I get there, the bus is there. I don't want to wait for the next one. It could be a minute and a half. (laughs) But then I can end up having that kind of sickness to people. Well, I haven't quite got time. Well, actually, you know, I love the church. I'll make an effort, Pete. I'll be there on a Sunday, but what, midweek? Or, you know, give somebody a call or a text. The danger is that I can can have this hurry sickness because I live in a city that's always on the go. And I guess what Paul is trying to say is, now, come on, we just need to dial back and make a commitment to community. Anna's opening her home today for lunch. I would love 70 people to show up. I know Anna would love me for saying that. But in all seriousness, you think, why don't people go, Why? Because actually what we just want to do is we want to be community together. Mother Teresa, Roman Catholic sister and missionary, says this, keep in mind that our community is not composed of those who are already saints, but of those who are trying to become saints. Therefore, let us be extremely patient with each other's faults and failures. I thought that's a a timely word, isn't it? You see, if we're really honest, we stop having a commitment to community because we've been hurt. And what we think is, I I was vulnerable to somebody and they let me down. I asked somebody for help and they didn't come through, I'm not going to do that again. And if we're going to genuinely be part of a community, we've got to be those that think, I've got to be real and open and ask for some help. I've got to say how I genuinely feel. You know what I'm saying? If somebody says, how's your week, all right? Are you really trying to say, I just don't want to talk to you? And am genuine. How's it going? How's your university study going? How are things at home? How's it going with your kids? How do we be genuine? Morgan Scott, who is was an American author, says, there can be no vulnerability without risk. There can be no community without vulnerability. There can be no peace and ultimately no life without community. And yet, if we're really honest, we want to put the screensaver on. If we're, you know, let, let's be frank. Some of us we sit there and you think, Pete, I like the idea of community. How can I help somebody else? What can I do for somebody? Well, at least half of us this week, it's not what can you do for somebody, it's could you be vulnerable and ask someone to do something for you? Oh, that's, that's harder, isn't it? If you'd like a lift, I'll come and give you a lift. If you'd like me to, I don't know. Give your hand with your kids, I could do that. Am I going to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, could you just come around and help me? But that's part of community, isn't it? I haven't got this one up there. Some people think they're in community, but they're only in proximity. True community requires commitment and openness. It's a willingness to extend yourself to encounter and to know the other all the flats that are going up around Ealing, it will be very easy to say, this is community. I mean, we live on top of one another. (laughs) But if you're really honest, you know that if you live in a flat, you live in proximity, not community. And what I believe is the biblical way is saying actually how are we genuinely to be vulnerable, open, honest, to give and to serve, to receive. And if we want to build a healthy church... One of the things we'd love to bring is a sense of community together. And we only do all of that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm going to hand back to these guys that I'm sure would lead us in breaking the bread.